0: Episode eighteen of Ten Zero. I'm
1: and I'm Caitlin.
0: So I had to fangirl for a second. <laughs> I, I made a Twitter for us because I was trying to story, and and America's Most Haunted followed us back.
1: I'm so excited, <laughs> so freaking excited. <sighs>
0: uh, I, I may or may not have, have screeched. screeched a little bit. I'm sure <laughs> might have freaked out and asked if I was dying. I was she, not.
1: She texts me. And she goes, so, uh, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yeah, why? And she told me, and I'm like, oh my God, no, oh my no. God. <laughs> and i was sitting there talking to Marcus, and I'm like, babe, babe, babe. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm just like... It happened. It happened. happened. And he goes, are you seriously fangirling right now? I'm like, uh... Maybe, and may may not (laughs) be. Oh Oh, man, it was great. So we are two episodes away from number twenty, yeah, which makes me extremely excited, yeah, (sighs) because episode twenty is gonna hold a little bit of uh, some fun stuff for us, I think. You think? I think. Hold on. Hold please. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Hold please.
1: Oh yes. yes. Um yes. It it will hold some very, very fun stuff that so may or may things. not may or may not have our podcast being tracked by the oh government. My God. You know. I'm doing this. <laughs> You'll find out in episode twenty. I don't, I don't wanna. <laughs> but this week we kind of have a twofer for serial co- killers. Colours killers. <laughs> 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 so, our true crime fact of the day brings us um, our two-for-one special, not only to right. have another famous serial killer to talk about, but on September 10th of 1977, two serial killers met for the first time. Yeah. Charlene Williams meets Gerald Gallego at a poker club in Sacramento, California resulting in one of the worst serial killing teams in American history.
0: How have not heard that?
1: Not very many people have. Um, before they were finally caught, the Gallegos killed and sexually assaulted at least 10 people over a two-year period. <sighs> Within a week of their first encounter, Charlene moved in with Gerald, the son of the first man to be executed in Mississippi's gas chamber. He had amassed seven felony convictions by the age of seven or 32. 72, That's a big difference. Oh, fuck. I, I was looking at seven in my notes and was about his age. So that was, that was my bad. That's um, a big
0: difference, right? Bad difference.
1: <laughs> he had also been married five times and it was later revealed that he had been sexually abusing his young daughter. Lovely. By the time Charlene had met him, she had already gone through two marriages and acquired a hard drug habit. Gerald brought home a teenage runaway so that he could indulge in a threesome shortly after Charlene moved in with him. However, he became extremely angry when he found out that Charlene and the girl were engaging in sex without him. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. That's cute. (laughs) The couple soon decided to find victims that could keep Gerald sexually satisfied. After two months of planning, they abducted their first victims in September of 1978. Ooh. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Two teenage girls, whom they sexually assaulted, beat with a tire iron and then shot in the head. The couple, now married, waited until the following June before striking again, grabbing two young girls in Reno. However, this time Charlene became mad because Gerald started raping the girls without her while she was driving the man. When she began firing shots at him, he quickly killed the victims. Yes. That's
0: a lot of impact, Yes. In that one and
1: and, and, right there. <laughs> and the issue is like there's so little information on like who they were and everything. I could dive into this just on its own. Yeah. But I'm going based off of what the History Channel website has to tell us about, wow. you know, our day in true crime. Um, the pace of the couple's killings quickened in 1980. In April, they kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and murdered two girls from a mall near Sacramento. Two months later, they found another victim during a vacation in Oregon. This time, they buried the victim alive. Yes. That's one of my worst fears. Right? I don't even want to be buried when I pass away. Like, you are either going to A, cremate me and take me with you everywhere. (laughs) Or... You're going to put me in a mausoleum with a nightlight because I don't like the dark. For obvious reasons. Yeah, then
0: you're going to end up
1: with a fucking Carl Tanzler-ass motherfucker. Ugh. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> in July... oh no, thank you. In July, the couple kidnapped and killed a couple as they were leaving a fraternity party. However, the partygoers got the license plate of their car and a manhunt was... Instituted? Sorry, that was the word that the History Channel decided to give me Um, because when I do these, I just kind of like copy and paste everything.
0: I think the word you're looking for ensued.
1: (laughs) I understand that, but look, it literally instituted, instituted. (laughs) initiated. (laughs) The Gallegos managed to elude authorities for a few months, but were finally caught in November in Omaha, Nebraska. While awaiting trial, Charlene agreed to testify to save her own life. Gerald Gallego was tried in both Nevada and California and received death sentences in both states. What? Charlene was sentenced to 16 years and 8 months in jail and was released in July of 1997. That's it? Yep. That's not cool. Nope. To my knowledge, she has not passed away. Um, she needs to. Oh. Right? So, that begs the question. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Well, I'm, here. <laughs>
0: I'm
1: <beautiful>. Well. Because <laughs> somehow we Rude. managed to do this <laughs> in the middle of the damn night every night. Oh, God. Okay. So, we're going to move on to one of the Hoosier State's mini garbage humans uh let's just say there's candy involved oh if that gives you a hint as to who it is i do have you
0: also seen a new movie coming
1: out yes and i'm so excited for that new movie <laughs> marcus showed me the preview and i'm like oh. i'm like i want to see it okay so this technically could go either way but we're going to stick to the true crime serial killer portion instead of the game that was the paranormal side of it, I guess. So on Christmas Eve of 1939 or Christmas Day, depending on which source you get your information from, this heaping pile of shit was born.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Starting out great.
1: Dean (laughs) Coral, also known as the Candyman, grew up in a very abusive home. His parents were divorced when he was an infant, but remarried after World War II. Dean's father didn't really care much for his children, and often resorted to harsh punishments for even the smallest of wrongdoings. So, you could, you know, accidentally break something and get your ass beat. Get your ass beat. The couple separated a second time, leaving Dean and his younger brother with babysitters constantly while their mother worked. Rheumatic fever left Dean stricken with a heart condition, which caused him to be absent from school frequently, but it didn't change his excitement when his mother remarried and moved their family to At least she didn't do part-time's charm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Shortly after the move, the family opened a part-time candy business, granting Coral the means to make new friends by handing out free samples. Okay. Coral's mother divorced her second husband in 1963 and appointed Dean as vice president of their candy company. The same year, one of the teenage male employees of the candy company complained to Coral's mother that he had made sexual advances towards him. In response, his mother just simply fired him. Fired
0: fired Dean or
1: the... The teenager. So, basically... Mommy dearest thought that her kid couldn't do any wrong and was like, "Oh, it's okay. You're fired. Go fuck yourself." On an
0: unrelated note, can you <laughs> imagine having unlimited access to that much salt water? Cake? Right, oh, yeah, I would
1: die. I already way too much. I can only imagine. All in the salt water. You know, as I stare at you know happen. my Reese's wrapper is <laughs> on the table. <laughs> Oh, anyway. <laughs> in 1964 he was drafted into the military even with his heart condition he began showing signs of fr- flagrant homosexuality however, five short years later he had a sudden shift in personality and became hypersensitive and depressed in 1969 he left that life to live in Houston where he got an okay job with the lighting and power company he had began spending time with teenage boys like David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley, passing out free candy and even hosting glue and paint sniffing parties at his apartment in Pasadena. Oh,
0: that's
1: cute. Yeah. I so <laughs> I, I think I have that backwards. So he ended up spending time with the teenage boys before he got his job with the lighting and power company. It was even saying that, um, like, Brooks would go stay with him in Houston instead of staying with his dad. Oh. Like, he would say that he was going to stay with his dad, and then he'd end up with Coral instead. All right. Um. It was around this time that he began to experiment with bondage in his relationship or relationships rather with young men and boys. How old was he at the time? Um 39 30, 31? 30, roughly around there?
0: Um
1: okay. On one occasion in 1970, Brooks entered the apartment to find Coral nude. With two naked boys strapped to a homemade torture rack, embarrassed, Coral released his playmates and offered Brooks a car in return for his promise of silence. Later, his passion turned to bloodlust, and Coral would use Brooks and Henley as procurers, offering $200 per head for fresh victims. Ew. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Gross. Yucko. Yes. (coughs)
1: Garbage (laughs) human. Coral's victims were typically lured into his van with an offer of a party or a lift into his house. There, They were either plied with alcohol or drugs until they passed out, tricked into putting on handcuffs, or simply grabbed by force. Then they were stripped naked and tied to either the bed or usually... A plywood torture board where they were sexually assaulted, tortured, and sometimes, after several days, killed by strangulation or shooting with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Hmm. At that point, you almost kind of wonder, like, how much he did to them.
0: If it was him
1: being gracious. Right. Coral would force his victims to phone or write their parents with explanations of their absences in in an effort to like, I guess, relax the parents' fears a little bit. Right. And like most serial killers, he kept trophies. Of course. In the form of keys. So he would take, like, their house keys. Not
0: to make it okay, but Better
1: than other can right, them. it's better than, you know, Dahmer keeping skulls and other body parts.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, the actual date of Coral's first murder is uncertain, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, on August 8th, 1973, a tearful phone call from Elmer Hinley summoned Pasadena's police officers to Coral's apartment. They found Coral dead, with six bullet holes in his shoulder and back, with Henley claiming he had killed his friend in self-defense. Henley was reported to have brought a girl to one of the paint-sniffing orgies, which led Coral to become enraged. Dean had threatened Elmer one before he was ultimately disarmed by Henley, and he then taunted him, resulting in him being shot. Little did anyone know that earlier that day, Henley had led police to a rented boat shed in southwest Houston, where they uncovered 17 bodies that were dumped to another site in Lake Sam Rayburn, and that turned up four more bodies, and six more were found on the beach at High Island for a total of 27. Henley was persistent that there were at least two more bodies in the boat shed and on High Island, However, the police called off the search due to the Juan Corona case. Yeah. But that's another episode. Later on. Anyways. Most of the bodies were found wrapped in thick, clear plastic sheeting. Some victims had been shot. Others strangled. The ligature still wrapped tightly around their necks. However, all of the victims found had been sodomized. And most victims bore evidence of sexual torture like having pubic hairs plucked out genitals had been chewed on um, objects had been inserted in places and glass rods had been shoved into their urethras and smashed cloth rags had also been inserted into the victim's mouths, and adhesive tape wound around their faces to muffle their screams In some instances, Coral had also castrated his live victims. Severed genitals were found inside clear, sealed plastic bags. Once in custody, Brooks and Henley confessed to playing a part in Coral's, Coral's grand scheme. Brooks quickly turned on Henley and stated that he was the trigger man in at least one killing, saying that Henley seemed to enjoy causing pain. They were both convicted of multiple murders, Henley in August of 1974, and Brooks in March of 1975, which landed them both life sentences. Henley's conviction was overturned in December of 1978, but was convicted and sentenced a second time in 79. So, now we're going to get into the victims. Alright, so in 1970, I have three different dates and three different victims. On September 25th, Jeffrey Conan, age 18, was a student at the University of Texas that was abducted while hitchhiking from Austin to the Brazewood Place District of Houston. He was buried at High Island. On December 15th, Danny Yates, age 14, was lured with his friend James Glass from an evangelical rally by David Brooks to Kroll's Yorktown apartment. So, we have Jerry Waldrop, age 13, and he was the youngest of Coral's victims. They were both strangled and buried in the boat shed. On March 9th, Randall Harvey, age 15, disappeared on his way home from his job as a gas station attendant. He was shot in the head and buried in the boat shed. His remains were identified in October of 2008. Oh, fuck. On May 29th, David Hillegeist, age 13, was one of Henley's earliest childhood friends. He was last seen alongside his friend Mally Winkle climbing into a white van. Mally Winkle was 16. His full name is Gregory Mally Winkle. He was a former, former employee of Coral Candy Company and the boyfriend of Harvey's sister. He disappeared on his way to visit a local swimming pool. On August 17th, Reuben Watson, aged 17, left his home to visit the cinema. On the afternoon of August 17th, Watson later called his mother to tell her he was spending the evening with Brooks. He was gagged, strangled, and buried in the boat shed. So, 1972. On February 9th, Willard Rusty Branch, Jr., age 17, the son of a Houston police officer whose father died of a heart attack in the search for him. Branch was castrated before he was shot and buried in the boat boat shed. His remains were not identified until July of 1985. Frank Aguirre was age 18. He had been engaged to marry Rhonda Williams, whose presence in Coral's house sparked the fatal confrontation between Henley and Coral. He was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. On April 20th, Mark Scott, age 17, a friend of both Henley and Brooks, was killed at Coral's Shiler Street address. According to Henley, Scott was strangled and buried at High Island, although his remains have yet to be found. Absolutely. May 21st, you have Johnny DeLeon, or DeLone. My bad. DeLone. Age 16, and Billy Balch, 17. Johnny was last seen with his friend walking to a local store. He was shot in the head and then strangled by Henley. Billy was a former employee of Coral Candy Company and he was strangled by Henley and then buried at High Island Beach. On July 20th, Stephen Sickman, age 17, was last seen leaving a party held in the Heights. He suffered several fractured ribs before he was strangled with a nylon cord and buried in the boat shed. His remains weren't identified until April of 2011. Can you
0: imagine waiting that
1: long for your family's body to be identified? Right. I... With I feel like so much sympathy for these families. That uh, I I can't imagine I no having to wait that long. my
0: marbles. Like there's no standard both got it. Right. Like
1: you think I'm looking for cocoa plus now. Buddy let me tell you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> On October third Wally J. Semino, age 14, was abducted while walking to Hamilton Junior High School. Semino attempted to call his mother before the phone was disconnected. He was strangled and buried in the boat shed. On October 3rd, we have another named Richard Hembry. He was 13. He was last seen alongside his friend. In a white van parked outside of the Heights grocery store, he was shot in the mouth and strangled at the Westcott Towers address. November 12th, Richard Kempner, age 19, vanished on his way to call his fiancée payphone. He was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. His remains were identified September of 1983. On to 1973. February 1st, Joseph Lyles, age 17, was an acquaintance of Coral who lived on the same street as Brooks. He was seen by Brooks to be grabbed by Coral at Wirt Road and was subsequently buried at Jefferson County Beach. On June 4th, Billy Ray Lawrence, age 15, was a friend of Henley who phoned his father to ask if he could go fishing with some friends he was kept alive for four days before he was killed and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. June 15th, Ray Blackburn, age 20, a married man from Louisiana who vanished while hitchhiking from the Heights to see his newborn child. He was strangled at the Lamar Drive residence and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. July 7th, Homer Garcia, age 15, met Henley while... Both youths were enrolled at a Bel Air driving school. He was shot in the head and chest and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. July 12th. Like, these are all getting, like, way too close together.
0: They're one right after the
1: other. July 12th. John Sellers, age 17, an orange youth, killed two days before his 18th birthday. Mm -hmm. Sellers was shot in the chest and buried at High Island Beach. He was the only victim to be buried fully clothed. That almost makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> July 19th, Michael Tony Balch, age 15, was killed by strangulation and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Coral had also killed his older brother, Billy, in
0: 1972. God, can you imagine that family? <sighs> like both of your kids. Right. I'm hoping they have more kids, but... Yeah. I can't decide if that's worse or better. <clears throat> I mean, not better,
1: but... Right. No July 25th also has two victims. Marty Jones, age 18, and Charles Carey Cobble, age 17. Jones was last seen... Walking towards corals in the company of Henley Cobble had a pregnant wife at the time of his murder. His body was shot twice in the head and was found in the boat shed. August third, James Dremala, age thirteen, the son of seven day adventists Dremala was last seen riding his bike in south houston he called his parents to tell them he was at a party across town and was never seen or heard from again in june of 2008 dr sharon derrick a forensic anthropologist that worked for the medical examiner's office in houston released digital images of coral's three still unidentified victims So, the unidentified victims were listed as ML, so Mary Lincoln, Mm -hmm. 73-3349, ML 73-3356, and ML 73-3378. Two of the unidentified victims were found buried in the boat shed and were estimated to have been killed in 1971 or 72, Whereas three three seven eight was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn, just ten feet from the body of Homer Garcia, who had disappeared on July seventh, nineteen seventy-three, the victim was estimated to be in a slightly more advanced state of decomposition. To Garcia, leading investigators to estimate that he had been killed mid to late June of nineteen
0: seventy-three. So he's just stacking them one on top of the
1: other now. Yes, literally. All of these bodies were either placed in very very shallow graves mm-hmm. or they were placed like on top of each other in just like this big huge dumping ground it was ridiculous a body found on a beach in jefferson county in august of 1983 is strongly believed to be a 28th victim of dean coral the body was identified november 11 2009 through dna analysis as 17 year old joseph allen lyles the one who disappeared on February 1st. Miles is known to have visited Coral's apartment and had to have lived on the same street as David Brooks. He was listed as a full victim after the other murders were discovered in 1973. At the time of his disappearance, Coral resided in an apartment at 1855 Wirt Road, where he lived between January 20th and March 7th of 1973, when he moved to his father's Pasadena bungalow. Brooks had spec- uh, specifically stated that Coral had got one boy by himself during the time that he lived at this address. In addition, at the time Lyles disappeared, Henley had temporarily moved to Mount Pleasant, which leaves a strong possibility that Coral had killed Lyles without the assistance of Henley. All right. All right, got what makes me intrigued... Is you have all of these kids that are lured with candy. Hence the term, never takes candy from strangers. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, 14 and 15 year olds going to paint sniffing parties. I understand that like.
0: It was the 70s. It
1: was the 70s and there were drugs everywhere. However. But I can't imagine not knowing where my kids are.
0: I wasn't let out of the house without
1: a fucking interrogation. Where are you going? Who are you going with? Right. I, growing up in a really, really small town as opposed to where I started. So we moved from Gary down to our tiny little itty bitty town where there's literally nothing. <laughs> My parents were like, as long as we know who you're with, come home when the street lights turn on. You couldn't do that shit back then. Because this type of shit would happen.
0: You
1: can't do it now. And now, like, my kids, like, I was so against my kid having a cell phone until he was, like, 15. And at that point, he had to buy it himself. Mm -hmm. And with everything going on in the world today, he's 11 and got a cell phone. Because I want to know where he's at 24-7. And if his location isn't turned on... He's getting a phone call. Fuck are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Where the fuck are you at? What are you doing? Are you Whose house are you at? Who are you with? Whose hand are you did, trying to die by today? <laughs> did you ride your bike? Did you walk? Like there's just so much going on and he's not allowed to cross the highway that runs through the town that we live in oh, no. at all until he's at least fourteen. And all of his friends live on the opposite side. So it sucks, but Sorry about you at that point. If he wants to go over there and be with them, I'll gladly drive the golf cart across the highway with him.
0: Yeah. Which is acceptable. Just eh? to make sure that he
1: gets across okay. His little brother, no, not allowed. Oh, like no. you are not allowed to take your brother anywhere unless you have an adult with you. So it call me a helicopter parent, call me crazy.
0: I think that's completely
1: justified. Right now, with the way that things are, it's not the 90s anymore. We can't just, you know, let our kids roam and come home when the streetlights come on. You're asking for
0: something to happen
1: at that point. Exactly. So, yeah. I agree. Keep an eye on your damn kids. Don't mean to sound like a bitch, (gasps) but... Keep an eye on your kid. large
0: kids. your kids, hide your
1: wife. Exactly. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> we're just not going to go that way with it. <laughs> not today. But, alright. So, what you got for me? Okay. You
0: ready? Yep. So we're going to New Orleans. Of course we are. I'm not mad at this
1: one. I'm not mad either
0: so we're going to start back in the 1700s oh marie delphine mccarty was born in new orleans spanish louisiana march 19th of 1787 she was one of five children her father was louise bartholomew de mccarthy whose father brought the family to new orleans from ireland around 1730 during the french colonial period Her family was very prominent in New Orleans. Um, Her uncle was the governor of the Spanish-American provinces from 1785 to 1791, Mm -hmm. and her cousin was the mayor of New Orleans from 1815 to
1: 1820.
0: Okay. So we're going to move to her first marriage, which was at age 13, in case you were wondering.
1: Of course it was.
0: On June 11th of 1800, she married Don Ramon de Lopez de Angelo. Say that ten times fast. Oh jeez. Was a high ranking Spanish officer and they were married at the St. Louis Cathedral, oh. which we visited. A it was beautiful. Second of all, she said to haunt that cathedral. Of course she is. Um then Marie returned to New Orleans with Brigida. And so on her second marriage, which was June of eighteen oh eight, she married Jean Blanc was a prominent banker, merchant, lawyer, and legislator. Oh, okay. In many hats, if you will. Yes. At the time of their marriage, Jean purchased a house at 409 Royal Street for the family, which was called Villa Blanc. Delphine had four children with him, Marie, Louise, Marie-Louise, and Jean-Pierre. Okay. And their father died in 1816. Oh. So she now has five children. Okay. Her third marriage mm-hmm. was June 25th of 1825. She married her third husband, that was Leonard Louise Nicholas Lollery. Oh. Let's see where I'm getting at here. Uh-huh. Okay. He was a physician, you know what she did, right? Yes, kind of. kind of. So she was famous for the torture and murder of her slaves. Yes. Um, accounts of the treatment between 1831 and 1834 differ greatly there was a author harriet who mm-hmm. recounted tales told to her by new orleans residents during her 1836 visit they claimed race slaves were quote haggard and wretched um, funeral registers between 1830 and 1834 document 12 deaths of slaves at the royal street mansion oh Court records show that Marie freed two of her slaves between 1819 and 1832. So she's got that going for her. Yeah. Um, Martineau wrote that rumors around Marie's mistreatment of slaves was so widespread that a lawyer was sent to the mansion to remind her of the laws regarding upkeep of slaves. Oh. During his visit, the lawyer found no evidence of mistreatment. And Martineau also recalled other tales of Marie's cruelty that were current in 1836. She noted that the after the lawyer's departure from the home, neighbor saw an eight-year-old slave fall from the roof to her death to avoid Marie, who was attempting to whip her. Ugh. Yeah. A reason for this was because she was supposedly disciplining the girl because she was brushing her hair and hit a snag. So, because there was a knot in her hair.
1: Yep. She pushed well, her off the roof. Okay, so you see... Was it American Horror Story? Coven? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you see her in there off and on throughout the entire season. And you see the, like, torture devices that she had for these slaves. Mm -hmm. And those were just recreated. So I can only imagine how much shit was actually there. Mm
0: -hmm. Fun fact about that end. Um... This incident led to an investigation of the mansion, which led Marie to be found guilty of, quote, illegal cruelty and was forced to free nine of these slaves.
1: Oh, only nine.
0: Only nine. However, they were then brought back to the mansion by a relative.
1: Of course they were. Garbage humans.
0: Yeah. It was also noted that Marie kept her cook chained to the kitchen stove and beat her daughters when they tried to feed them.
1: I can believe that.
0: So I mentioned that the mansion burned down. Yes. Which was in 1834. April 10th of 1834. A fire broke out in the kitchen. When police and the fire marshal arrived on scene, they found a cook, a 70-year-old woman, chained to the stove by her ankle. The woman said that she had set the fire as a suicide attempt because she feared being punished, saying that slaves who were taken to the attic never came back.
1: Yeah i could see that
0: april 11th of 1834 bystanders on the street attempted to enter the slave quarters to make sure that everyone had gotten out safely however murray refused to give them the keys to the quarters of course she did the bystanders ended up breaking the door down and found quote seven slaves more or less horribly mutilated suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other who claimed to have been in the attic for many months Jesus. One of the bystanders was a judge, Judge John Francois Conag, I'm going to say. Sure. Whose testimony on what he found at the lottery mansion mentioned that day. He stated that he found one woman wearing an iron collar. There was another slave who had a very deep head laceration who appeared to be too weak to walk. The judge said that when he questioned Leonard about the slaves, he was told that Quote, some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. It's Kind of his job. He's kind of his yeah. job. Martineau added that the slaves appeared emaciated, showed signs of being flayed with a whip, and were bound in restrictive postures and were, wore spiked iron collars. Oof. When the discovery of the abuse became widespread, a mob attacked the Laudary Mansion and demolished and destroyed everything upon what lay their hand. I can see that. I would not be mad at that.
1: No.
0: The police were called that by the time they got there, there was already significant damage to the home. Um, The slaves were taken to a local jail. This irritates me. A local newspaper reported that by April 12th, up to 4,000 people had attended the jail to view view the slaves, to convince themselves of their sufferings.
1: To convince themselves? (sighs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, I wouldn't be able to live back then. No. Because...
0: What show was I watching? (sighs) Outlander. That's what it was. They... Have you seen Outlander? Uh-uh. No,
1: you keep telling me to watch it. it, (laughs) it. I've got so many different series going on right now.
0: But, so... She's from... The main character is from 19 like World War II. and she they're in Scotland, and she touches the stone and takes her back to like early early Scotland. Oh, okay. It's really cool, but then they ended up immigrating to the colonies and also a great stuff. So they get to the colonies, and her new husband's aunt is in one of the colonies, and she has a bunch of slaves, and the main character oh. is, like has a really hard time dealing with. Right. Him. And there was a slave that was, he literally had a hook through his abdomen. Ooh. And she saves him, but they try to burn down the mansion because she saves him. Yeah. Yeah. I would not be able
1: to that. I, I, I would be that person. I can't do it. I would be like, let's save everybody. And then I'd end up dying or yeah, some
0: probably. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Field's son quoted another local newspaper regarding the evacuation of the slave quarters. They cited that two of the slaves that were in the attic had died since their rescue. And, quote, we understand that in digging the yard, bodies have been disinterred, and the condemned well in the grounds... Con-
1: Get it together. <sighs> hey, that's the first time we said said this, this episode.
0: Well, I'm sure you're going to say it five more times. <laughs> I can't read apparently. <laughs> the condemned well in the grounds of the mansion... Having been uncovered, others, particularly that of a child, were found. So there was a child's body in the
1: (sighs) fucking bitch. Yeah.
0: The mob burned down the mansion to the ground.
1: Mm -hmm. It was
0: rebuilt in 1838 and remains standing today. The building has been used as a public high school, a music conservatory, an apartment building, a bar a furniture store. (laughs)
1: course it's been a bar.
0: a refuge for young legals.
1: Well at least in that account it turned into something good. Kind of. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so Marie's life after 1834 is not that well documented. Um, Martineau wrote in 1838 that Marie fled New Orleans during the mob attack that followed the fire by taking a boat to Mobile, and then to Paris. She died in Paris on December 7th of 1849. However, no cause of death was ever specified. And exhumed on January 7th of 1851 and sent back to the Orleans. And she is buried in St. Louis Cemetery, number one. Oh. Those cemeteries are super fucking cool, by the way. Yes. Just
1: saying. I know.
0: That's really creepy. How they, like, just push your bones to the back and they fall in like a bowl underneath. Mm. I didn't tell you about it. No. Oh. So your family buys this crypt. Mm-hmm. It's like buying a home. Right. So you put a body in it. Mm-hmm. It gets so hot that your body disintegrates and just those bones and ash. Mm. So they have a year, one day law. So uh-huh. you can't open it or you put somebody else in it. Oh. So when they open it, they... Push your bones to the back. There's a hole in the back, and then underneath it, there's like a bowl. So they just keep putting bodies in there, bodies and more bodies, and eventually the bowl gets full of bones and ash mm. yeah, and creepiness. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's it's creepy. Did you know Nicholas Cage has a crypt in one no. of these cemeteries?
1: No. Yeah. Oh. It was
0: one of the private ones that we could go see it, and I was mm. like <laughs>
1: I would have been mad too.
0: They had a really cool firefighter one though. Yeah. It had a big old buck on it. Ooh. I, tried, I think I took a picture. I
1: don't know. Okay. But I'm gonna need to see it.
0: We were on the bus when I saw it, so maybe yeah.
1: that
0: <laughs> also been. Dirty,
1: so. Oh my gosh.
0: You good? I'm yeah.
1: Fine. Uh, no.
0: Okay. So now we're gonna move on to ghosties. take.
1: Okay. okay.
0: So they have tours of the mansion. Obviously. But you can't go in the mansion. Because it's somebody's house now.
1: <laughs> Jesus. So they had tours outside the mansion. Okay. So there's this thing called opening your home to other people. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to need you to do that.
0: <laughs> well, he's an oil tycoon, so I'm going to say no.
1: Yeah, probably not.
0: So before this person bought the house, um, tour guides had noted that they hear moaning coming from where the slave quarters used to be. uh uh-huh. Um footsteps are heard within the house regularly, and people simply standing by the house reported feeling as though they were taken over by negative energy. Oh. Uh, 1894, after the building had been converted to apartments, a tenant was brutally murdered in his room. The apartment had been ransacked, however nothing of value missing. A friend told the police that the man was having problems with sprites. Oh. So, he's having a fairy problem.
1: Well, sometimes that can be a problem, sometimes not. I Depends on if they're, you know, the good fae or the bad fae.
0: I don't want a friend. Or
1: they're, they're sneaky little shit. It's fine. Um,
0: the friend also claimed that the man told him that there was a demon in the house and it was not going to rest until he met his man.
1: I, I, I kind of believe that.
0: In the mid-19th century, the building was converted into an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. Many of the young girls were part of the assaults. Oh. And when they told the teachers what had happened, the teachers asked who had done this to them, obviously. The girls answered, that woman.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: So, I'm hoping they are talking about Marie. Otherwise, I don't know.
1: I'm sure at that point they were...
0: Um, this excerpt I found on Ghost City Tours, which is who we did our tour mm-hmm. with them. On one occurrence, our guide was giving a ghost tour. They were at the Lollery Mansion, standing just directly across from the front door. To the right, another group was discussing the tragedies of the Lollery, some 50 feet away. But there, under the quiet moonlight, the story of 1834 was slowly unveiled. All of a sudden, our guide felt a tug on her messenger bag draped over her shoulder. She stopped amid her story and twisted to look over her shoulder, convinced that she might find a pickpocket or someone intent on stealing her things. Right in the middle of a tour, she exclaimed as she regaled us with the story.
1: No one was there, however,
0: so she turned back around and got back into character. No less than ten seconds later, she felt the tug again, harder this time, a sharp yank. Once again around, but nobody was there. This time, she told her tour what had happened, and their faces, she said, were priceless. No doubt hers was, too. Two weeks later at the corner of governor nichols and royal street our guide was out on the streets again bringing another tour around the laurie mansion of course was the main hit she had positioned her group under a set of street lamps burnt out for weeks she launched into the story but the minute after she said the name leia the lamps flickered on Everyone one of the group paused a few yelping in delight the guide went on with the show and when she said the name leia again those same lamps, well, the light
1: was gone. Leah was a little girl push up with Oh shit. I just got chills. I know. Like through my entire fucking body. Right? <laughs> like normally I just get goosebumps on my arms. Oh no, that sent like a shockwave yep. throughout my entire fucking body. Yep. Fun facts April of
0: 2007, speaking of Nicholas Cage, he bought the mansion for $3.45 million.
1: And then he sold it because he's... It
0: was foreclosed on. Oh. Because somebody lost all his money.
1: <laughs> well... November 13th of 2009.
0: <laughs> uh, as of 2019, the house is owned by Michael Whalen, who's known for his many advertisement jewels. And the Lollery Mansion was featured in American Horror Story Season 3, Coven. Mm-hmm. However, the house that they're in is not the actual... Right. It is the Herman Grima House, uh-huh. which is at 820 St. Louis Street.
1: Gotcha. So yeah. Creepy shit. Yeah.
0: No, thank you. I, I don't want to see slaves or anybody for that matter. No.
1: Right. So Are you. you hear me typing? But I'm looking up what the actual houses look like. <laughs> <laughs> Our hotel, I think it was on the street, it might have been canal. I uh, I want to go, but I'm having a hard time with um, debating whether or not I want to take my kids. I like, I kind of want to wait until like I can take Aiden by himself because he likes all of this stuff. So, wait until he's like 18 or like around 21, that way he can partake in certain activities. But at the same time, like,
0: I would go by yourselves.
1: I almost want to make that our next, like, solo vacation and then conquer my fear of fucking flying and fly down. Yeah. I, I'm terrified to fly. And I think that mostly is the fact that I was in sixth grade when the World Trade Center thing happened. So it's. Which
0: is tomorrow, by the way.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. But. I just, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm still freaking terrified.
0: Take my advice. Do not fly, Spirit.
1: Don't plan on it.
0: Spirit fucking shit show.
1: <laughs> Marcus told me that if we fly, we're going to um, see if we can steal some of his stepmom's points. Delta was great. Through, um, I think it's American Airlines that it's she's got all we'll of her back. points. Um but they've racked up so many points from her going to like her bowling tournaments and stuff.
0: I definitely recommend it, but I would not
1: use But kids. if you're <laughs> looking to go on vacation, um, use what website did I use? Trivago, I think. And hey, that Trivago sponsor. Us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how um, I ended up finding like our Myrtle Beach hotel. We stayed for seven days and only paid eight hundred dollars. At the Marriott. Marriott or Marriott. Um, no, little- the, Sheridan. the Sheraton, the <laughs> Sheraton by Marriott. Okay. Um, Got to. And we had like the best experiment or er, experience while we were there. <laughs> you're you're mean <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> So we had the best experience ever. Like, if we came to the hotel and needed, like, our trash picked up, we could call down to the desk, set it outside the door. It was gone five minutes later. Like, if we needed extra towels, and it was, like, 2 o'clock in the morning because the beach all night, they would bring us new towels within, like, 10 minutes. Yeah. It was fantastic. But I think I paid $79 a night. And with taxes and fees it only ended up being like 800 bucks for seven days
0: the only bad thing about because we stayed in the french quarter you have to walk everywhere because ubers will not go in the corner right which is acceptable yeah but you have to get trapped around oysters
1: i don't like oysters do,
0: neither do i they're the shit
1: like we tried um we went to i
0: probably ate three dozen oysters. oh where did
1: ashley tell me to go because that's where we went Um, Like, our entire meal with drinks and everything because I wanted to be completely shit-faced the entire vacation and that didn't happen. We spent, I think, a hundred and something. Went to Beach House Bar and Grill and got, like, their seafood combo platter. And we had fried oysters, crab cakes, um, flounder, shrimp and something else and we got like loaded nachos for our appetizer and the food came out and it was just amazing like to the point where we were so full we went back to the hotel and took a nap and didn't wake up until like almost midnight um but we had also had like the 32 ounce big ass frozen drinks that come in like the little stemmed glasses
0: we came home with like seven
1: Oh, trust me, we did too. Like, we- I packed an extra bag just for souvenirs. <laughs> we went to, um, what was it? What Willie's, That yeah. daiquiri bar. Mm-hmm. And we had four cups. Oh, yeah. Just bringing it home from one day. And then, of course, I was, you know, tipsy and walking around all the stores and spent way too much money. Um, but, was I mad about it? No. No.
0: Um,
1: but, yeah. I we drove and that was that was a big mistake. Yeah. Um we were both sore by the time we got to the hotel That's and we didn't do shit. This trip was 16 and a half nope. and I mean granted we did stop and visit my friend's gravesite and stuff but and Dale
0: Earnhardt.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to uh piss his mom off by stopping at the Dale Earnhardt statue on our way home. Um not sorry about being petty. <laughs>
0: <That's an asshole. laughs>
1: well, don't back out of keeping somebody's kids when they're going on vacation for a week the week beforehand yeah. and possibly make them lose out on the. A... Thanks for hanging out with us.
0: We wanted to take a second and kind of have a second of silence for all the firemen and officers that died on September 11th. And that's what we do. Yes. But. Uh, okay. Social medias. Instagram. 10-0 podcast. Facebook. Facebook. 10-0 true crime and paranormal stories from behind the headset. I can't talk yes. anymore. I'm losing it. We now have a Twitter. In case you yes. want to go us on Twitter. At 10 Paranormal is our handle because it chose it and it won't let me change it. Of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, our Square store is linked pretty much everywhere, I think. Yes. Um, we have decals and limited edition decals. I'm trying to work on some tumblers that are going to be really cool.
1: Yes. Um, I will potentially be starting to print clearcast decals. So if you like stickers for your laptop cases or um notebooks yeah. we'll be able to get those out um as I soon as i actually buy a freaking printer because i've been putting it off long enough I
0: keep
1: forgetting to out your details yeah well it's fine
0: because
1: at this point i don't know if i'm gonna have room for it on my back window yeah. <laughs>
0: If you have any personal stories for us, because we're trying to do listener stories for October, hey. Yes. Um, if you have any of those or a case suggestion for us, make sure you send us an email, ten zero podcast at gmail.com. Am I forgetting anything?
1: Um, stay tuned. Either in October or no the beginning of November. I might have an eyewitness account of Mothman.
0: Oh shit.
1: For one of our episodes.
0: Oh
1: yeah, i have to have like a mini Right. I uh I kind of want this person to be on the show, but I can't. So, anyways, thanks for listening. You guys are amazing, and as always, stay safe.
0: And try not to become the next 10 zero. <laughs>